Do you remember the film Network? Even if you don't, I'm sure you've heard this line. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! That said, you may not remember the rest of the speech. And despite the fact that it's from 1976, it still feels kind of apt. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, Nick, as I said, that came out in 1976. That's over 40 years ago. Yeah, and people are still mad, Brett. I mean, I mean, I wasn't alive back then because I'm a <laughs> I'm a young one, but people are still mad as hell. I think that's fair to say. I think that is very fair to say. As a matter of fact, I was just reading a NBC News survey that said 68 percent of people say that at least once a day they hear or read something in the news that makes them angry. And almost half of those people, Nick, said that it happens a few times a day. You know, it's really a coincidence that you were reading that just now. <laughs> <laughs> Why? And not, you know, a script that we're reading. Oh, from. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, Nick. Here, this is sort of the part of the reason I brought it up. I mean, if you're like me, I know you're similar to me. If you, if those people listening right now, if you spend a significant portion of time online, you don't need me to quote a survey to tell you that people are angry. Okay, and and look, we got good reasons. As the saying goes, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. But maybe the question isn't whether we should be outraged or not. I mean, there are definitely things to be outraged about. But what I've found myself asking lately, and I, Nick, I know you and I have both been sort of talking about this, is how conscious is our outrage? How conscious is my outrage? And, you know, if we're outraged about everything, are we outraged about anything? Mm-hmm. And also, am I sort of being played in all this? Am, am I somehow being conducted by the powers of the economy and the triggers in my subconscious mind? We are full of thoughts. This is yeah, so- <laughs> I am. I am. Well, no, and there's there's been a lot of talk of this lately, Nick. I mean, sort of around the end of last year, uh, you know, former Facebook executive and venture capitalist uh, Chamath Palapatia was addressing some comments he made to MBA students at Stanford about social media and how we behave in a relationship to it. And he said this. We all have never taken a step back and actually asked ourselves, how should we be interacting with these things now, seven years into it? And what should we be expecting of the internet at large? And so I I think, you know, that was one of the things, Nick, that had me thinking about this. We're going to talk about sort of Sean Parker later in the show. We're going to talk about a lot of things later in the show. But, you know, we had a big conversation just a few weeks ago about just, I don't know, the, the internet and how it's affecting us and outrage and what we're doing. And I think we just wanted to sort of have a conversation about it. Yeah, we've been talking about some variation of this show for at least a year and a half, if not longer. Wow. So it's been that long. It uh, yeah. has, so now is that day. Now is that day. This is so the day you to, didn't know you were waiting for. It's happening right now. It, yeah. So to, to use Chamas words, we thought, let's take a step back. You know, let's see if we can get some perspective. And I would say, you know, we sort of pride ourselves here at Where There's Smoke in saying that we don't have the answers, right? So best case scenario, maybe we can elicit some new questions and find some clarity around how we want to be and how we want to behave in these times. Sound good, Nick? Sounds great. Let's get to it. 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 it.
Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are taking a step back and stepping into a conversation around social media, the internet, how it impacts us, and how we do or do not impact the world around us. My name is Brett Gaida. That is Outrage Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. In 2016, Time published an article by Jeffrey Kluger entitled, America's Anger is Out of Control. In it, he mentions a concept linked to pornography known as Rule 34. Rule 34. Rule 34. A concept which I suppose I should be pleased to say I'd never heard of before. Rule 34 is the now infamous internet adage stating that if something exists, there is porn of it. Now, Kruger references this rule to suggest that something similar is true for outrage. That if you can name a group, a Google search will likely find them outraged. He lists vegans outraged, dancers outraged, gardeners outraged, fishermen outraged, even knitters outraged. I'll add moviegoers outraged, Rick and Morty fans outraged, travelers outraged, and even bakers outraged though I found no history of outrage in either butchers or candlestick makers. And just so we're clear, I am an active participant here. As much as I've been trying to keep my outrage conscious and contained, this year alone, which for the record is 17 days old as I write this, I've expressed outrage online aimed at Hertz Rent-A-Car. Wow. I am dumbfounded by the lack of customer service and or care I am getting from at Hertz on a very simple issue. They've lied to me many times. William Morris Endeavor Agency. If true, this is brutal. And again, if true, the lie by Ridley Scott is enough for me to not support his work again. Lana Del Rey. My first reaction when I see stories like this is that the artist is being oversensitive. In this case, I then listen to the Lana Del Rey song and I'm, wow, it is a total ripoff of Creep. The Renaissance Hotel, Twitter, and Cineplex movie theaters. And that's excluding mentioning any outrage involving a politician. And I'm tired of it. I mean, truth be told, I've been tired of it a long time. Exhausted is actually a better word. And I've been conscious of this exhaustion for at least eight months, finding myself sitting in front of my computer day after day or looking at my phone and really noticing this unwanted anxiety and anger. Not to mention the time suck when I engage. When I catch myself and I step back, there are a few reasons I find this outrage concerning. First, it eventually becomes nothing but noise. And it ceases to be outrage at all, actually. It's just reflex. As I acknowledged earlier, there are legitimate reasons to be angry. But isn't there also something to be said for adjusting rage to fit the provocation? 
As Kruger keenly articulates later in his article, if every offense, unjust or insulting incident turns into a jolt of high fructose fury mainline straight to the brain's amygdala, what's left when there's truly right and righteous reasons to rise up in anger? It's sort of like Aesop's fable, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. He remembered the excitement of the day before and how fun it was to see the angry looks on the villagers' faces when they reached the top of the hill. Before he can stop himself, he was shouting, Wolf! Wolf! The wolf is chasing the sheep! There are people I'm connected with on social media whose outrage I have just tuned out because it feels like they are outraged about everything. Wolf! Wolf! And in some cases on Facebook, I've gone so far as to unfriend or unfollow them. And I'm likely not the only one. So they are often just screaming into a void. Hello? 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 Anybody there? Echo! And if it's true for them, it's probably true for me. How many people feel that way about me? How often am I just screaming into a void, satisfying some chemical craving in my brain instead of using my time to be constructive and contribute in a meaningful way to my world? In addition to that, how would you feel if you knew you were being played? That these emotions you think are coming from your core values and beliefs are being manipulated, manufactured, and in many cases feeding the very machine you are raging against. And so I think it's really worth considering and having a conversation about whether we want some of our strongest moral emotions which are so core to who we are, do we want those under the control of algorithms whose main purpose is to generate advertising revenue for big tech companies? That is Dr. Molly Crockett, an assistant professor of psychology at Yale University and a distinguished research fellow at the Oxford Center for Neuroethics. A few months ago, she published a paper in Nature entitled Moral Outrage in Digital Age. And that audio is from a series of Big Think videos she did on the analysis. And she is not the only one looking behind the curtain and talking about the manipulative powers of social media lately. We are also hearing from the people who hung the curtains in the first place. This is Facebook co-founder Sean Parker just last year on how Facebook catches our attention. It's like a, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. And I just, I, th I think- And here's former Facebook executive Chamath Palahapatiya on CNBC's Squawk Box. We know for a fact that what all of these systems do, every single one, is it exploits our own natural tendencies in human beings to get and want feedback. And that feedback, chemically speaking, is the release of dopamine in your brain. 
And so what these feedback loops do, and they exist everywhere, in Call of Duty, in other video games, in social networking sites, they get you to react. So we are being programmed. And if you are consistently on social media, or even online for that matter, you are being programmed. According to Dr. Crockett's paper, worldwide, more than a billion people now spend at least an hour a day online. And online, moral outrage is all the rage. The architecture of the attention economy creates a steady flow of outrage porn that people can access anywhere and anytime. And it is inflated rage at that. And so I was able to analyze this data and show that immoral events that people learn about online trigger more outrage than immoral events that they learn about in person or through traditional forms of media like TV, newspaper, and radio. So this supports the idea that the algorithms that drive the presentation of news content online are selecting that content that provokes perhaps higher levels of outrage than we even see on the news. And once our rage is let out, played for the world and applauded through likes, shares, and comments, it gets cranked to 11. Look, right across the board, oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. And then we get feedback, and that feedback in the form of likes and shares is delivered at unpredictable times. And unpredictable rewards we know from decades of research in neuroscience are the fastest way to establish a habit. Now, a habit is a behavior that is expressed without regard to its long-term consequences. Just as someone who's habitually reaching for the bag of potato chips when they're not hungry, they're eating those potato chips not to achieve some goal to satisfy their hunger, but just mindlessly. And so many of us are mindlessly expressing moral emotions like outrage without actually really feeling them or having a clear, grounded, connected sense of why we are saying what we are saying. And we are screaming into a void, thinking that our rage is somehow creating change. Here again is Molly Crockett, this time speaking at the Oxford Several Martin decades, School. Um, you can train a rat to press a lever to get, say, chocolate or sugar. Um, and then you feed the rat so much chocolate that it gets sick. If the rat still presses the lever for chocolate, you know that it's developed a habit. It's sort of mindlessly pressing this lever that used to be rewarding for them, but is now no longer rewarding. Hmm. I feel like I've heard this in a song before. Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a... Rats in a cage generating ad revenue for big tech companies. Hell of a legacy. And where do we end up if we're all letting ourselves be manipulated and controlled by a marketing strategy? Likely in something that resembles a Black Mirror episode. And it doesn't end well for most of us. Here again is former Facebook exec, and now CEO of Social Capital, Chamath Palapatiya, in that talk he gave to Stanford MBA students. And it is a point in time where people need to hard break from some of these tools 
and the things that you rely on. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. And it's not an American problem. This is not about Russian ads. This is a global problem. So we are in a really bad state of affairs right now, in my opinion. It is, it is eroding the core foundations of how people behave by and between each other. And this state of affairs goes well beyond outrage. That's just one expression of it. How is the internet affecting us as adults in various aspects of our lives, in our relationships, in our goals, in our businesses, in our careers? How does posting your waffles online relate to me starting a business and accumulating capital? This is wiring your brain for super fast feedback. It's the same brain you're using to build a company. Don't think they're not the same. Acknowledge that these things where you're spending hours a day are rewiring your psychology and physiology in a way that now you have to use to go and figure out how to be productive in the commercial world. So if you don't change this, you are going to get the same behaviors over here. I'm telling you they're linked. And what about kids? If you are a parent, what about your kids? I know my wife and I find ourselves thinking, where is the balance with our six-year-old, who we are currently letting live some of his life, not in this physical world, but in a digital one called YouTube? And let me tell you, it's a different world in there. A world where there are other six-year-olds who get free toys sent to them, who seem to always be playing, who are never in school or doing chores. And my wife and I wonder, is it even about balance and regulation or are we better to remove that world from him altogether? And that can feel like a really big, meaningful, and impactful question when you consider the potential negative impacts on an immature and impressionable child's mind. Yes, YouTube is a very different place, Brett, and it's a place where children can congregate and learn independent from the adults of the world, away from their teachers and their parents. When we were kids, there were times after school or during the summer, let, let me take a step back. When I was a kid, I know that there are people younger than me listening to this show, but I'm sure a lot of you can relate. You know, it would be a summer day, I would be gone all day without a cell phone. With friends, I'd go to their houses, we'd go to the park, we'd explore the woods, and we'd get into little fights, and we'd get lost, and we would collect our change together to buy candy. That's a very vivid memory for me. And eventually, at the end of the day, we'd get back home, we'd have dinner, and we would have learned a lot about ourselves, about each other, about the world, and how to navigate our, our way through it. But today, with cell phones and the rise of, let's just say, a more hands-on parental style, Children have lost those autonomous opportunities to learn these lessons. Now, whether they choose to or they just end up there, they're going online for that experience, that experience of autonomy, because that's a place that isn't as closely watched or understood by their parents. Now, YouTube isn't fully an Instagram or a Snapchat or a blah blah bloop whatever the kids are into, but it does have comments and it has subscriptions and it has its own culture and children are definitely watching. Now, in order to help us understand what these YouTube algorithms can do, we have to revisit the tale of Logan Paul. Boo! 
I know, I know. Most of us probably already know this, but 100 years from now, when digital archaeologists are digging through the Where There's Smoke archives for just a glimpse into this moment, we'll be glad we took a second to, to sort it all out. Logan Paul is a very, very popular 22-year-old YouTuber. He has over 15 million subscribers. And a large percentage of those subscribers are young people and children, and they call themselves the Low Gang. Now, I first heard about Logan from this diss track that was that was listed somewhere. Uh, it's a diss track to his brother, Jake. And to me, it's sort of all you need to know about Logan. It's called The Fall of Jake Paul. Hey, Jake, I made one phone call. I got the same house as you. Same cars, too. It's really not that hard. Oh, hey, by the way, welcome to the top, little brother. Feels good, huh? But let's not forget how you got here. Little brother Jakey try to roast me? What? Little brother standing on his own two feet? Not for long. I'm a dog. You're a puppy. Call you Kong. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, yes, watching this video is just as cringy and just as awful as it is to listen to it. And I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but to me, that's sort of all of his videos. They don't really read of a lot of sincerity. But Take my word for it, don't go watch it yourself. Just just trust me. Logan Paul is paid cash money through YouTube ads, merchandise, and a series of YouTube red shows, but Logan's wealth isn't why we're talking about him. It's his access to children and young adults. That's why we're talking about him at all, because I'd rather not. Logan Paul vlogged for over a year every day, for over a year straight. And that means that he has access, this person, just this guy, has access to millions of young people every single day. Now, you probably know the rest of the story, but just in case you don't. But this morning, Logan Paul is in some hot water after he posted a video allegedly showing the body of a person who recently committed suicide. The video viewed over 6 million times in just 24 hours. He visited an area on the slopes of Mount Fuji known as the Suicide Forest, then posted the video with the title, We Found a Dead Body in the Japanese Suicide Forest. Okay, so after apologizing a couple of times to, let's just say, mixed results, Logan Paul has taken a break from posting for now, which is probably smart. But don't worry, I'm sure he'll be back. Now, anyway, I'm not here to talk about Logan's goodness or Logan's badness because I don't know him, and that's not really productive for us to do that. However, what I can say is that we shouldn't waste any time in trying to figure that out, especially since we know that the larger problem is around YouTube itself. Because it's not really about Logan Paul. Honestly, if it wasn't Logan, we would have gotten here eventually anyway. Somebody would have done something just as insane, just as insensitive, just as gross. Because it isn't with Logan Paul and what he thinks is right or wrong, it's with what the algorithms reward. They reward the things that we watch. Whatever will get our attention, they're going to promote so they can sell us stuff. Logan Paul became famous because he indulged in the culture of YouTube. He sort of hacked it in a way. Because for a large portion, especially of younger people, YouTube has these celebrities and the celebrities get into these fights. So it's about this drama and this weirdness between content creators who make videos about each other. It's about pranks and jokes. It's about clickbait. 
And yeah, it's apparently about diss tracks. And if you haven't spent a lot of time in this part of YouTube, it sounds crazy, but that is what is happening, trust me. Now, Logan continued to get famous because people would click on the videos. Since people were clicking, the algorithm recommended those videos to more people, especially since all of the videos are connected because there's outrage and they're fighting with each other. So people will click on Logan's video, and then they will click on Jake's video, and then it'd be this cycle. So more people are clicking on each, YouTube likes that, it promotes both, and so on and so on and so on. And so the more outrageous, the most dramatic, the things that cause us the most outrage are the things that YouTube likes the most. That's how prank turns to stunt, turns to posting dead bodies, just like that. As much as anything else, the problem is really with us because it's pretty simple. If we don't watch, then YouTube has no reason to promote Logan Paul, like none, because that's they don't care about Logan, they just want our eyes. But since we love the rush of dopamine that we get when we get outraged or when we get caught up in something, we cannot help ourselves. To help prove that point, his channel is the strongest that it's been in months. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Despite his last upload, the apology video, happening on January 2nd, January 3rd and 4th were two of his highest view days ever in the history of the channel. Before the video, he was earning around 40,000 subs a day. Now it averages to about 65,000 a day. And this is without him even uploading every day, bro. Dab on them haters. He is currently the sixth fastest growing YouTube channel after he uploaded a video about a man hanging himself. Logan Paul has benefited from all of this. And so have lots of other people on YouTube who are posting videos about how outraged they are because outrage sells. It gets the attention of us and it gets the attention of the algorithm. That video I just showed you has 3.8 million views and there are hundreds just like it. So that's the power of the algorithm and the platform. That's also the danger. Because while it's great that anybody can go on YouTube and quote, broadcast yourself, once YouTube figures out that it can make money off of us, they're gonna do whatever it takes to get us to stick around for as long as possible. These corporations, YouTube, Google, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, they're value neutral. They just want our attention so they can sell us stuff, they can sell us ads. So if we know this, and I hope we do now, if we know it and we don't do anything about it, then we're, we're complicit. That's it. As Sean Parker says, these platforms are exploiting us, but they can only do it if we help. An outrage economy is only lucrative in an outraged society, or as Chamath Palihapitiya put it, If you feed the beast, that beast will destroy you. If you push back on it, we have a chance to control it and rein it in. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's pretty clear that we just have to do better. And that's why we're doing this show today. There's not a lot of answers, but we're hoping that at the very least, you can ask yourself that question. Do you have any thoughts? Do you have any answers? Let's just talk about it right now. Well, 
I mean, first of all, let's just frame this conversation, Nick. Yes. We're not. This isn't scripted. Nope. We're, we're just talking. And I think the purpose here is to talk about what sort of action or what can you and I do different, but also to then open up the thought process in our listeners about, you know, what can they do or what might they want to do different. Fun right? fact, this is the first time we've ever spoken that is not scripted. And I'm including all off-air conversations. Yes. <laughs> we pre-script we we everything. Script so I'm a yeah, little we nervous. we pre-script everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just, first of all, I want to sort of emphasize, I think the, the, the core idea here is that, you know, earlier in the show, I talked about outrage and, and, you know, outrage or anger or anything like that, and even any sort of emotion, it's useful when it's when it spurns you into action, right? Mm-hmm. Against some sort of injustice or disorder or abuse or whatever it might be. But if it's just anger, if it's just sort of, uh, you know, I'm I'm screaming, it doesn't really necessarily do much, right? Right? And 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 you know, I was thinking about this a lot, Nick, because we just passed Martin Luther King Day, and as we were writing this this script, the day happened, and you know, I thought there's a guy. Right, who was outraged, mm-hmm. but he was outraged and he took action, and so I think that is sort of what I'm feeling a lot of is we 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 we've got to do something different. So back in 2016, remember those days? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, over the summer, I know I told my friends. I know I'm pretty sure I told you that I told my family. It was like June, July, August. I said, you know, I don't want to wake up in November of 2016 and have to, to have an outcome that I didn't want and to know that I didn't do everything I could do to change that outcome. I said that out loud. I said, hey, let's not do that. I said to everybody, let's not do that, everybody. And then I woke up in November and got the outcome that I didn't want. And I was outraged all summer, that entire mm-hmm. year. I was mad. I was, And I even went the further step to acknowledge that I wasn't doing anything. And so I kind of felt good about that. <laughs> oh, look, I'm going to do this thing. Didn't do it. And then when November 7th or whatever that day came around, um, I I really could not – I could barely talk about the election. As you know, I shut – it was like no one talked to me about it. I didn't watch – I watched Family Guy on 24 hours for like seven months straight or seven weeks straight. Um, nobody could treat me about it. I didn't go on social media. So I – it's that's just an example of me not taking the action. But I think it's even worse because I acknowledged I wasn't doing anything to begin with. Like I feel like the right. awareness makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. I, actually, I remember when I, we were putting this show together, Nick, I, I, I don't remember the article exactly, but there was this this line in one of the article articles I read that said, you know, this idea of sharing outrage online that, you know, social media companies, uh, they encourage outrage, outrage in a way that fosters amplification rather than action. Mm. And I was like, that's it, right? Like, it's sort of like, ah, oh, we all want to be louder, but but that's not necessarily it. So- Anyway, so here's what I decided, Nick. I, I decided I got to do something different. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that what I'm going to do is is the answer for me even. I, it's just about, you know, I'm sort of going to take Chamas' advice about taking a step back. And in, in that talk, he he suggests to people, you can start by turning off your social apps and just giving your brain a break. And so that's what I'm going to do, Nick. So I am going to get off of all social media. Yeah, that's, I don't know if, I don't month. know if listeners get that this is like a, th- I mean, this is like a thing. This is a real thing. Well, it, you know, it's funny. I mean, w- when I was talking to myself about what I was going to do, the idea of getting off social media for a month, I found myself 
sort of giving it caveats like, well, maybe I, I'll post, but I, I won't comment or respond. Or maybe I'll stay on Twitter, but not on Facebook. Or Well, Instagram's not that bad. I can stay like I found myself sort of. Try, and as soon as I realized that, I thought as silly as it might sound to say out loud, "Ooh, I'm going to get off social media for a month. Like, this is a big deal to me. And the fact that it's a big deal to me concerns me. Yeah, and I'm not so addicted. That actually, I just have to post. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so then I'm like, okay, I got to do this. I got to take a step back and see how it impacts me, how it impacts my emotions, my everyday feeling, my relationships, my family, my creativity, all of it. I'm not going to know unless I try something different. So that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be off social media completely for a month. Now, to be clear, where the smoke isn't off social media. No. So no, they'll be talking me, about me the whole time. Yeah. It'll be me. There's the rest of the team. So, uh, you know, if you feel like leaving fun things for Brett to see when he comes back, feel free to do that. Um, I'm going to do something. And when we made this script, we kind of knew this is where we were headed to. And then in the last day, I just said, no, I should also contribute to this moment. So my thing is that I'm going to stop watching or having on any cable news, which is a huge deal because I have cable news on almost all day at my home office here. So um, none of it even though I totally get off on <laughs> on just being so angry all the time. So uh, none of that. And I will say this. I, I have, I you know this, I don't go on the main page of Facebook or on the main feed or whatever. Haven't done it for two and a half years. Um, I took that time off after the election where I didn't engage in anything. And I already know the outcome. Like I know mm-hmm. the outcome. So it's sort of a shame that I went back at all in the first place. But I know right. that you will feel better. I know that I will feel better. Like, I just know it. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of have this feeling, I mean, that I'm. it's probably not going to be as hard as I think, and I'm probably not going to miss it very much, and I might feel great. But again, I don't know unless I do it. And I think it's, it's sort of, it's good that we're different, Nick, because like you said, you don't engage in sort of Facebook and social media the way I do, but I don't engage in, in cable news the way you do at all. I don't even have cable. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's cool that we're sort of giving these totally different examples of how we can remove ourselves from this system, you know, that that may be sort of affecting us or even manipulating us to use the word we use in the show. And what we'd put out to all the listeners is, you know, is there something you want to do different? You know, are there were there moments in this show that made you go, oh man, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I understand that. I feel that. And maybe you're saying to yourself, well, gosh, I want to do something different. I don't know what it is, but we want to hear about it, Nick, right? We, de- I mean, we definitely want to hear about it. So you know, it's funny. We talk about social media, like tweet us. But here's the thing. You can email us. Brett yes. will get that right away. Um, so just email. And not only not only connect at where there's smoke.co, Nick, but I will give out my personal email wow. on this show. Wow. It is Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at where there's smoke.co oh, because I will not be on social media. That, so that's not like your Gmail account. Well, that's no, the show account. I don't give that show out on the, sh- on the show. Oh, I guess I do in the credits yeah. sometimes. Fair enough. So really, but here's the deal. We want to hear from you. Our team and Nick will be on social media. So you can Facebook tweet, you can email us, email me directly. You can leave a voicemail on our website, but, but genuinely like, I, w- I want to hear from people out there of what you decide to do and maybe the effect it has, or if you've already done something. I know people that have gotten off of Facebook, gotten off of social media, gotten off of YouTube, whatever. Let us know because I think this is a really important and powerful conversation and I would value hearing people's experiences. I don't want to bury that call to action, but I do want to say that removing ourselves from a platform or from a medium doesn't mean that we're absolved from taking responsibility for what is happening around us. Like, so oh, we're gosh, not no. saying, oh, we're removing ourselves because f- 
it, it doesn't matter. Like that's not that's not what well, we're saying. Well, here's another interesting part I'll say to you, yeah. Nick, is I've gotten to the point, which I think is is familiar to a lot of people out there, where I get probably 95% of my news from social media. Yeah. So now my challenge becomes how am I gonna I'm gonna have to figure out new ways to do it because you could watch the news. I, I'd want to stay informed. So so that's sort of one of my many challenges is like, okay, well, what's that gonna look like? And I don't know yet. We'll find out. All right. Well, let's we'll we'll update maybe as we go. Maybe I can give updates. Uh yeah, like, well, like you're like in show. prison, like you can write, we can talk, <laughs> and then I can go on Facebook and say, just talk to Brett. Uh, <laughs> you really like you have a collect call from Brett <laughs> off social media. All right. Anyway, this has gone on long enough. That's what we're doing. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Brett, do you want to have the last word? Um, I, I, no, I'm going to give it to you, Nick. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> That's thanks to you and to the listeners. <laughs> oh, dual okay. thanks. Okay. We could also, we do you have a dig? Uh, I have a yeah, very, I have, I have a very short one. I have one. I can do it. You just, just want to do it right now? Like literally sure. right now? And the same. Gonna, I'm just going to uh, bring up real quick. So okay, I can you do play. that. I'm starting Dicks. This is all. I'm no, there's no edits okay, happening right now. Do it. I like it. Hey guys, welcome to Dicks. This is the part of the show where we share the things that we love, the things that we're digging, the things that are inspiring us, that are bringing us joy, the things that are not on social media. I mean, they might be, but Brett doesn't know about it. Um, he's still looking things up. So I'm going to go first. And I meant to do this in our last show because I devoured this and I need people to know. Brett, have you watched any of The Good Place? Have we talked about this? Oh, we have. Yeah. Did you start it? So I've seen season one because it's on Netflix. I have not watched season two because I don't have cable. Okay. <laughs> Is that interesting that I don't have cable? Uh- <laughs> no, I mentioned it in the in the show. So I'm just saying. That's a Hollywood handbook reference for the nobody who listens to that show on here. But um, did you like the first season? I, I liked it a lot, and I had mentioned to you when I started watching it, because I watched the first episode, and there was we a long break. We had the same break. experience. I, yeah, yeah, and I was like, why is everyone freaking out about yes. it? And then, of course, once I got a few episodes in, I binged the whole first season, and then, of course, you know, there's things that happen in that season that make the show even more interesting. Yeah, so I watched the first two episodes when it came out of The Good Place, and, you know, it's a show about a woman who dies... And then ends up in the good place, but it's the wrong identity. And so she's trying to understand what that is about. Also, my neighbor is vacuuming upstairs now. So if you hear that in the show, there's no edits. Um, but it's great. I watched first two episodes. Did I was like, well, this is weird. Just stick with it. It is my favorite show on television right now. Um, well, that's because Bojack's not on. And uh, But it's definitely in the list. Bojack, uh, Craziest Girlfriend, You're the Worst. Um, other things. Good, okay. good place. So that's it. All right. What you got? So my dig sort of, I'm going to sort of, before I say it, I'm going to say it sort of links to yours because you've heard me talk about this before, Nick. I actually talked about it on the Canadian dig segment that did not make it into our <gasps> Tragically Hip show. Um, but I talked about this idea that, you know, a lot of times on Netflix, we're watching these dramas and they're they're really intense and things like Black Mirror or whatever. It, it, to me, it's sort of, it's sort of a, a niche to go on Netflix and say, what's, you know, a 20 to 25 minute nice sitcom show I can watch? And The Good Place is one of them. Yes. So I'm in, I'm going to give another one. Um, it's a show called Love Sick that uh, season three just released a, a few weeks ago. Interestingly enough, this show, when it started on Netflix a couple of years ago, uh, it was called Scrotal Recall. Oh, <laughs> which, that's right. And the I reason it was that. 
Yeah, and the reason it was called Scrotal Recall is because the, basically the, the initial sort of plot mover is that the lead character, it's played by Johnny Flynn, who's a, a musician, cool guy, great actor, I think. He's diagnosed with chlamydia, so he has to contact all his ex-sexual partners just to let them know, hey, I got chlamydia, you might have it too. So it was called Scrotal Recall. I, listen, I think- listen, I understand. You're saying it was called this because of this. I get that that's a plot device, but that doesn't mean you name your show. Well, no, granted, (laughs) granted. So somewhere along the line, they decided, and probably wisely, to be fair, that that might be off-putting to some people. Is the title uh, card changed in the first season? What was that? Is the title card changed in the first season? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Yeah, everything's changed now. So I think they actually changed it after the second season. But anyways, it's now called Love Sick. All of it. Um, gr- yeah, they're all changed. Uh, great, just you know, as true with many shows we love, right? A great cast. Uh, you know, characters you care about. This is a this is sort of a a funny show, but it's it's heartfelt. It's real. Uh, and one of my buddies actually just texted me yesterday, I think, to ask me if I watched it, and I've I've already you know seen it all. But he said that one of the things he liked about it, as sort of mentioned, is that it's great. In his words, it's great for the ladies and the gentlemen. Right, so it's sort of a good if you want to watch something with your significant other. It's it's sort of something that I think everyone would enjoy. So I think it's a great show. There's three full seasons on on Netflix. I think each each season is eight to ten episodes. It's called Lovesick. That's my dig. All right. Well, if you are digging things and you want to share them with us, of course you can go on Twitter and Facebook, and I will see it, and we will tell Brett about it, and <laughs> you should let us know what you're what you're digging. We always like to know that, so that's exciting. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. I'll see you all on the other side. <laughs> well, you have credits, so you can say whatever. Oh, yeah. That, I'll see you all on the credits. <laughs> Thanks. Welcome to the credits. Shout out to Chelsea McKenzie for the great voicemail, sharing that something I said propelled her to finally take a trip to Italy she's been wanting to take for years. To Aoife Barrington-Haber for connecting with us on Facebook and for plugging us to BuzzFeed News on Twitter. Thank you, at Zena Bob, at Billy Poggy, and at Mile By Club, who said WTS is like TV for the ears. If you want to help this mission wrapped in a podcast, please share the show. Do you know anyone who might be a bit outrage addicted or possibly under the manipulative powers of social media? Suggest they listen to this episode, but, you know, be a bit more sly in your invitation. And if you do decide to get off social media yourself for a bit, maybe link to this show. It could be part of your last post, a little, hey, to understand why I'm doing this, listen to this. The Where There Smoke team is made up of me, Breck Guida, Nick Jaworski, Teresa Ward, Kristen McMullen, and Dylan Davis. What about me? I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And um, with assistance from BrettBot2000. That's better. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. If you have a podcast or want to start one and you want it to sound awesome, reach out to Nick at PodcastMonster.com. And if you need a speaker for an event or want to put together a training for your business or organization, reach out to me using the email Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at WhereThere'sSmoke.co. Our podcast cover was designed by Sam Goff with a season four redesigned by Ricky Rowe at Alchemist Creative. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Speaking of Nick, what other musical artists were featured in this show? All right, on this week's show, we've got Blue Dot Sessions, Pottington Bear, Ari De Niro. Of course, we've got Rage Against the Machine and Smashing Pumpkins, Lee Rosa Bear, and of course, Kevin McLeod. 
finally, you know how they say that everything changes and yet everything stays the same? Well, we leave you with these words and a strong suggestion from the mad prophet of the airwaves, Howard Beale. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets, turn them off now, turn them off right now, turn them off and leave them off, turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now, turn them off! If you're still here, thanks for listening, we love you, we'll see you.